are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org. My heart, thank you for um, following Jesus. Thank you for believing in the church. Thank you for giving from your hearts. Um, we have a great future in front of us. Hopes and fears. Hopes and fears. So you probably don't remember the first time you heard the phrase, those two words together, hopes and fears, because whether you grew up going to church or not, you probably first heard the phrase in a song, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem, that you heard even in the shopping centers as you were growing up. It was written by a guy whose name was Phillips Brooks in 1868. He had traveled to the Holy Land, and from the Palestinian hillside, he looked over Bethlehem at night came home, wrote the song, his church organist wrote the melody for him, and the children sung it in the Sunday school program on Christmas Eve. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above the deep and dreamless sleep. Sing with me. The silent stars go by, yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light here comes the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight i want to say just a few things today but the first thing i'm going to say i want you to hear it to the point that you remember it all week Life's experiences are filled with hopes and fears. So you might say, hey, Pastor Rick, I'm going through something right now and I have a lot of hope. Or you may be saying, I'm going through something right now and I have to tell the truth, I'm afraid. But you might say, I'm going through something right now and I feel both hope and fear. You're saying, really, you can fill them both at the same time? Let me explain, okay? Do you remember your first date? You do? Did you feel hopeful? Were you like, hey, this could be really great. I'm really excited. I'm all pumped up about this. Did you also have this concern, what if I blow it? So you had both hope and you had fear. I think about when a student moves away from home for the very first time into a college dorm room. And I think they are full of hope and excitement. People say this can be the best four years of your life. But I think also going on in the mind of that student is what if I don't fit in? Or what if I don't make friends? Or what if I don't handle freedom well? Or what if I can't make the grade it's hopes and fears. I remember when our first uh, baby girl was born, Brittany, we were full, full of hope. I mean, we're going to have a baby. We're bringing a baby, a real life baby home from the hospital. It was crazy to think about me and Annette actually getting to be parents. But with some complications going on, we were filled with lots of concern. And especially right up to the birth, we, we were worried I talked with a family just recently who moved here from another city. And they said, we were really excited about the move. And we're all excited about this new life in front of us and new friends and a new church and everything else. But 
we're really concerned about our kids. We want to make sure they fit in okay here. It's hopes and fears. So, yeah, life is filled with hopes and it's filled with fears, but there's many life experiences where there's both. I I think I have a question for you, um, and, and that is simply this. Is there a place where our fears are met by hope? Because that's where I want to live. <laughs> I, I want to live in a place where, where our fears are met by hope. I mean, that's where I want to hang out. That's where I want to spend my time. I want a place where all of my fears are met by incredible hope. And I believe it's possible because one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible is, Don't be afraid! And so it may be right now, you're saying, Pastor Rick, I'm in a place today, and I just feel very hopeful. Or you may be saying, I'm in a place where I'm really tempted to be afraid. Or you may say, I'm in a place where I'm feeling both hope and I'm feeling fear. And I don't want to be afraid because I understand what God's Word says. And I want to be hopeful. And I want to be positive. But life happens And there's this diagnosis and while we've got really good doctors and while we're praying and we have a lot of people praying in our church for us, sometimes the what ifs just tend to eat at us. So what I want to do over these next few weeks is take you to the book of Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets where our fears are met by hope, okay? So open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to start reading with verse 2. And what we have is a prophecy. And the prophecy is about what's going to happen one day, that the Messiah will one day come and meet all of our fears with hope. And so here's what Isaiah says. The people walking in darkness. That's where we end with chapter 8. There's lots of darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, something really positive. He's speaking in Hebrew perfects as if it's already happened, okay? And he's talking about the future. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as peoples rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So what he's saying is that when I look into the future, what I see is people excited. And they're singing songs of thanksgiving. Like like people who are harvesting a great crop. And they're going, look at all of this crop that we've harvested. Or warriors who have won a battle and they're dividing the plunder. Okay? For as in the days of Midian's defeat. This is not a pipe dream. God can do this. We saw him do it with the famous biblical hero Gideon. Defeated Midian, you've shattered the bow, the yoke that it burdens them, and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. For every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. How is this going to happen? How's God going to do this? A little baby? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
and of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. How's this going to happen? God's going to do it. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I was talking with a friend the other day and he says, um, I was doing my devotions this morning. In the book of Isaiah, and he said, I realized I probably don't know enough about the book of Isaiah for it to make a lot of sense. I found myself reading the scripture and then feeling mostly confused. And, and I understand that. I think, I think that's what can happen. I want to help you over that hurdle today, okay? Let me tell you a story first. My daughter, Brittany, who is 31 years old, and her husband, Tim, and their little daughter, Sadie, my granddaughter, came to visit us. And while they were here, it was my other daughter, who is 26, Morgan. It was her birthday. So Morgan gets to pick where we're going to go for birthday lunch, right? It's her birthday. She says, I want to go downtown Oklahoma City to a restaurant that I really like. It's called the Jones Assembly. We had not been there, but we went. Any whoop-whoops for the Jones Assembly in the room this morning? Got a few. We're sitting there eating lunch together, okay, and, uh, and, and I look up at Brittany, and she looks a little, uh, you know, okay, what's just happening? And I go, what? And she goes, oh, my goodness. And I said, oh, my goodness, what? And she says, um, that is Matt Damon sitting right there. And I go, Matt Damon, the movie star Matt Damon, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon, I want to be Jason Bourne secretly in my heart, you know. <laughs> She goes, I'm, I'm serious. That's Matt Damon. He's sitting right behind you. That's Matt Damon. And so discreetly, you know, I kind of turn around like I'm looking at the ceiling or something. And sure enough, it's Matt Damon. And, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And so finally everybody in the restaurant is like, uh, you know, Matt Damon. Actually, the waiter who comes and pours me some more drinks says, uh, uh, don't look around now, but that's Matt Damon sitting right behind you. You know, all of a sudden he's the most important person in the room. And we get to thinking and talking and wondering, and we ask ourselves, how wealthy would Matt Damon be? And so we look it up online, $50 million. I look back around, it didn't look like $50 million to me, honestly. He's, he's a regular looking guy. He's wearing jeans, he's wearing a, uh, a, a, a flannel shirt, he's wearing a cap. And uh, he kind of looked like everybody else. So there's always this respect of privacy and... Do you ask for an autograph or, you know, do you, you know, make a nice comment or, you know what I'm saying? And I was thankful. He did not bother me at all. He just left me to be with my family and it was my daughter's birthday dinner and I'm glad he did not interrupt us. You know, that was, that was awesome. But really, I'm not making it up. He was the most important person in the room. I know it doesn't do it justice. It doesn't get you all the way there, but I think it helps. Because I want to talk about another character that I haven't mentioned to you yet. And that's very much in this story when we think about trying to understand the book of Isaiah. And that is a young king whose name is Ahaz. Okay? And so I've asked Jacob Thomason to come and help me this morning and stand beside me. There he is. So Jacob is exactly the same age as Ahaz when Ahaz becomes king of Israel.
And so the prophet of God, the holy man, put his hands on the head of Ahaz. And he said, Ahaz, you are the king of Israel. He poured the oil of God over his head and it ran down what little beard he has. And God said through his prophet, you are now the king of Israel. We got a problem though. Ahaz is not a holy man, but he's going to rule a holy nation, God's people. In fact, history says that Ahaz was an evil king. He relied on his own strength and his own wisdom, and he did not put any trust in the wisdom of God. And so what God does is he brings a prophet. God always sent prophets to talk to the people. And so he brings a prophet, and the prophet's name is Isaiah, to confront Ahaz and the nation of Israel. Now, there's two major issues going on here. If you'll come around this other side, that'd be great. I've asked Alex to join me because Alex is the actual age of Isaiah, 30 years old, when Ahaz became king at age 20. I think that's important for you because you might think in your mind, Isaiah was this old, feeble guy with a cane who could barely see and he's, you know, pointing his crooked finger in the face of the king. It's not like that at all. He's 30 years old. And the other reason, not only because of their age that I asked them, but they both have Bible times hair and beards. Yeah. A whoop whoop for the good looking boys. Yeah, yeah. So here's what happens. The nation is in trouble for two reasons. You must pay attention because there will be a quiz. Number one, they have broken their covenant with God. That's the first reason the nation of Israel is in trouble. They have broken their covenant with God. Religion for the nation of Israel at this time is kind of formal. Moral fiber is lacking. Ethical standards are very low. And one of the ways that it's lived out is in the second reason that nation of Israel is in trouble. And that is because they are oppressing the poor. They keep their foot on the neck of the poor man and they keep him down. And the rich people get richer and the poor people get poorer. There are incorrupt governments, systems, judges making the poor person poor and the rich person rich. And at the head of all of it is King Ahaz. And so Isaiah says, oh, what was number one, by the way, the problem with Israel? Broke a covenant. Number two was oppressing the poor. And so Isaiah, the most powerful, influential moment of his life was in chapter 6. He's in the temple. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And he saw the Lord. And the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah says, oh, no. This is not good, man. I, I can't stand in the presence of God. I'm not a holy man. But the angel comes and takes a coal from the altar and touches it to Isaiah's tongue. And he is transformed. And God says, who are we going to send to Ahaz? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. I'll be your mouthpiece, God. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. And so Isaiah confronts Ahaz and says, Ahaz, you've got to turn to God. If you don't repent, your enemies are going to defeat you. You're going to be destroyed. So if you're struggling to listen to this point, do whatever you got to do. If you got to slap yourself, slap yourself. You got to hear this. 
Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, you think the Assyrians are your enemy. That's true. But you have a greater enemy. And it's you. I'm so sorry you had to be the bad guy because you're such a good guy. You are. You love the Lord, I know. You think the Assyrians are your enemy, and they are. But you've got a greater enemy. It's you. I want to give these guys a hand for helping me out this morning. Thank you. All right. I said one thing to you so far, right? I said that life's experiences are filled with both hope and fear. Here's the second thing I'm going to say. Sometimes we are afraid of what might happen to us. When we really should be afraid of what we might do to ourselves. Life's experiences are filled with hopes and fears. And much of the time we are worried about what might happen to us when we really should be worried about what we might do to ourselves. I remember growing up hearing my mama say, he has become his own worst enemy. Ahaz, you're afraid of the Syrians. And you think they're your enemy, and they are, but there is another enemy, and it's you. There was a season of my life after I graduated from high school that I was not walking with the Lord. So, if God is here, okay, if God is right here in the center of it all, okay, which we need to keep Him in the center of it all, if God is here, my life is not pointed toward God. I, I'm, I'm telling you, my life is facing the other direction. I'm going the opposite way. I am running from God as fast as I can sprint. Let me tell you something. My sin did not keep God from coming to me. And I remember specifically, I can tell you about three times. One time I was in a car on a Saturday night by myself driving home at about one in the morning. And I remember God coming to me in that moment and begging me to turn back to Him. Another time was when I was walking in my house and my mom was on the phone and we had a new preacher showing up that Sunday. And my mom says to the lady on the other end of the phone, they say he's a really good preacher that a lot of people get saved in his ministry. And I remember God quickening my heart and me saying, I want to get saved. And I remember another time, a third time in the hallway of my home where I remember thinking about a guy who was far from God and he lived all of his life not acknowledging God. And I remember thinking, that cannot be me. I've got to turn this around. My sin did not keep God from coming to me. And that's what happens with the people of Israel. For unto us a child is born. Even though there's great sin, He's not going to just leave us and forget us. He's going to send His Son, Emmanuel. He is going to come to us Himself. Because that's what God does. Your sin does not keep God 
from coming to you just as it did not keep God from coming to the nation of Israel. Now, listen, we've got to go somewhere together, and you've got to go with me, okay? So we're just going to put these titles on the board, and I'm going to say to you that they point to Emmanuel. This is about divinity. This is not a common earthly king, okay? These are not titles you would give to Ahaz. This is a wonderful counselor. Ahaz is trusting in his own knowledge, human wisdom. No, no, this guy's going to trust in God. This is a mighty God. We're talking about deity here. We're talking about omnipotence. God has unlimited power. This king will be able to do anything he chooses to do. He is everlasting. Many kings saw themselves as the father of the nation, but they lived and they died. This one will never die. He is the everlasting father, and he will rule not with a sword but with peace. He is the prince of peace. I'm worked up. Because what I'm about to tell you, I think is the best yet. There is this hope that we are being offered. And this place that I'm talking about, where our fears are met with hope, is when we choose the path to turn our lives completely to God. Okay? So if this is God, right here. I I can be headed that direction with my life, or I can be headed that direction with my, or I can be headed that direction. I can be running from God as fast as I can. But when we make that choice, when we respond to His grace, and we say, you know what? I am now going to turn my life to God. And I begin to follow Him in the Son of, in the version of His Son, Jesus Christ, and I begin to obey Him fully, and my whole life is about Him, then, then no matter what happens to me, God is with me. Now, I know, I know where you're going. You're saying, but Rick, this person still is sick and hasn't been healed. And I still have this financial cloud over me. And I've still got this weird thing going on in family relationships. I, I hear you. I hear you. So let me, let me say this to you. Someone sent me a text the other day and just said, you know, Pastor, I saw your, your title for the Advent series, Hopes and Fears. And I thought you might like this. So here's what it says. Fear says, what if? You with me? What if it doesn't work out? What if it is cancer? What if it doesn't go like I wanted it to? What if I can't change this? What if? What if? What if? That's what fear says. It's the only legitimate question that fear can ask. What if you can live your life eaten up with the what ifs? Look at this. Faith says, even if. Even if it happens, okay? Even if it doesn't go like I wanted it to. Even if it doesn't work out like I hoped it would. Even if it doesn't go like I thought it should. Even if God is with us. So I want to paint a picture of that, okay? I want to show you what it looks like in life. We have a family who attends our church. And um, their names are are Tim and, and Kimberly and Grace Eads. They've been attending maybe for less than a year now. 
So we were at a, at a dinner. I, I asked you to be in a Sunday school class, a mid-sized group. And, and, then, and then I asked you to break up in those mid-sized groups into like dinners for eight to where you can experience even more intense community, you know. And so if I ask you to do it, I do it. Um, so my wife Annette and I were in a Sunday school class and we have a dinner for eight, except there's ten in our group, but we still call it eight and I don't know why. That's weird, but it's a dinner for ten, I guess. And, and Tim and Kimberly are in our dinner for 10, and we had dinner the other night, and we're sitting around the table together, and we talked for a couple hours after dinner. It was awesome. And I think that's what should happen. We learned something about each other. That, that many of those five couples, three of the five, had experienced a bout with cancer. Who knew? And so Kimberly is telling the story about going in to have a tumor removed from her neck, a thyroid. Hopefully this is benign. They explained to little Grace, who's only six years old, that going to the hospital tomorrow and you'll go with us and you'll be with Daddy and Mommy's going to have this procedure. But then after it's over, we're all going to come back home together. But during surgery, they realized that the cancer, the tumor is not benign, that it's cancer. And, and mommy can't go home tonight. And it devastated Grace. Six years old. And Tim says, it's not very far from Columbus to Mount Vernon, but it felt like a really long way with little Grace. Devastated that her mommy is not coming home with them tonight. Said it was during Advent. And when they get back to Mount Vernon, Ohio, the town they live in, there's a, a nativity out at the town square. A lawn and a nativity. And Grace says to her daddy, I think we should stop where baby Jesus is because I want to talk to him about my mommy. He says, we pull up. I help little six-year-old Grace out of the car. And I said, you want me to go with you? And she says, no. And he says, I watched my little six-year-old girl track across the lawn and kneel down in front of the manger. And I watched her talk to Jesus about her mommy. Is there a place where our fears are met with hope? I think Grace found it. She gets up and she goes back and gets in her car and they go home. And the next morning... Grace is going to head to school for her Christmas party that her mommy is now not going to be there for. But the doctor says, you know what, Kimberly? I think you're okay to go home today. And Kimberly surprised Grace at the school party. And in the heart of a little six-year-old, fear is met with hope. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.